Hello again and welcome to the Knowledge Panel episode 22 and today it's technical SEO and quick wins. As you can see my background here I'm I'm uh, actually doing the show from uh, North Wales, from Snowdonia, instead of uh, my normal location. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it's uh, it's good to see you all. Hope that the uh, the internet connection holds up in in, in Snowdonia. And we've got a fantastic panel today. Unfortunately, Sarah couldn't make it, but it doesn't doesn't. I'm I'm not too worried. Um, well, I'm sorry for Sarah. She's caught away for an emergency. But uh, Wilhelmina and Cara we were chatting before the show, uh, and I think we've got some <laughs> some absolutely incredible experience within uh, within the world of technical SEO. So I think we're going to be in pretty safe hands today. So Wilhelmina and Cara, welcome to the Knowledge Panel show. Why don't we start off by you? you guys introducing yourselves. Cara, why don't you go first? Tell us, you know, who are you and where do you come from, as the show panel host says. <laughs> cool, thank you. Um, firstly, thank you for having me. Very honoured to be here. Uh, so my name's Cara, Cara McClure. I'm currently at an agency called Mindshare as SEO account director. I lead on um, a few big clients, Apple being one of my main clients. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. So I think we can't go, you know, SEO for Apple. That's that's pretty cool. Uh Wilhelmina, can you can you beat it? <laughs> I absolutely can't beat it. Um, so I'm Wilhelmina, an SEO specialist at British American Tobacco, and I work across the UK and Ireland accounts. So, I, so yeah, so I mean, it's not exactly a small a small company either. So that both of you <laughs> have got some incredible uh, challenges. Both of you different different kinds of technical challenges, I would imagine. Uh, you know, we would talking about you know age age restrictions and things like that um before we came on the show and apple you were you were talking about doing technical seo in python and things cara so you know maybe we'll come on to some of those some of those ideas uh but before i do i want to just bring in um my producer make sure that uh, i have uh, talked about all the things i need to do before we start uh and uh say hello and thanks for coming and stopping me from making too many errors david hey. Only one thing I want to say is you're probably listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Come and join us live next time, if that's you. Just go to theknowledgepanelshow.com, sign up for the next show, and hopefully we can see you interacting as part of the live chat for the next show. And I'll tell you more about what the next episode is towards the end of this one. Okay, brilliant. So let's get into the show and start with uh, with question one, which is, you know, if people haven't got to be got time to be around for the whole show, uh, and we wanted one technical SEO quick win that you wanted people to take away, you know, what would you uh, what would you go for? So one idea that people can go for to take away as a technical SEO quick win, and I'll go, I'll go with Cara again. Yeah, there's so much. I guess I would say the main thing, and it's probably quite maybe an old school basic one, is make sure your Google search console is configured in the best way possible because that actually gives you a lot of insight that people kind of overlook sometimes. And I think if there's anything technically wrong with your site, search console is going to flag it up to you and you're going to be able to, you know, get a bit under the hood and be able to fix certain things. So I would say, yeah, make sure your Google search console is configured correctly. So is that is that really just, you know, mostly about, um, setting up the uh, well, just just setting up the, the domains because the domains you can you used to be able to have different. Uh, I remember with with uh, my majestic days, you had https colon majestic.com and then en.majestic and jp.majestic.com and every single virtual one under the sun most of which did nothing but i had to put them all in is that still the case or have they fixed that now it's still the case to a certain extent so you have to still configure it to whether you sit on http or https 
hopefully everyone should be on HTTPS now for obvious reasons. So that thing is fine. But in terms of the configuration, I was more referring to making sure it's linked to Google Analytics, making sure it's linked to any other analytics tools that you have, making sure the core web vital stuff is all, you know, kind of organized in the way that you need it to. So if anything is flagged up, then you understand it. Because Search Console will give you, I guess, the the good visualization of how search engines are looking at you, predominantly Google, right, which is what everybody cares about. So I just think if anything technical needs to be flagged before you even get to the fixing, Search Console is is one of my go-tos all the time. Wilhelmina, what's uh, your one tip for the top of the show? Quite a hard one. Okay, I think we've, uh, <laughs> we seem to have lost, uh, lost uh, a connection a little bit there. Let's carry on with the Search Console then, uh, you know, because there's also uh, Bing Webmaster Tools as well, which is yes. kind of, uh, you, you get a lot of lot of people saying, oh, you should check out Bing uh, as well as, you know, Search Console. And I, mm-hmm. then I don't suppose many people do. I mean, do you? Does Apple? Yeah, I mean, I do use um, Bing Search Console, not necessarily for Apple, but I have used it in the past. And I think, obviously, I'm not sure how much people will take note of, you know, the market share space, um, particularly because a lot of laptops now that you buy and even some search for, um, smartphones that you buy, some of them come loaded with certain browsers. And within those browsers, sometimes I know for Microsoft for a time, they were giving everyone their um, laptops loaded with Bing. And obviously, if, you, if you're loaded with Bing, then people are probably just going to use that because people are lazy, right? So people shouldn't necessarily overlook the other search engines. Obviously, their market share is obviously minuscule compared to Google, but there still is a little bit of market share. So I think, yeah, Bing Webmaster Tools is also another one. I haven't used it recently, if I'm being perfectly honest, but I have used it in the past and it does give you some good insights as well. Because I think, I think with technical SEO, I think the main thing that you need to understand is understanding that... Um, you know, like what what is happening behind the scenes, and webmaster tools or search console is going to tell you that. Cara, I mean, do you, do you guys you know use sitemaps a lot? Yeah. Um. To be honest, when you asked the question, I was toying between search console or sitemaps, but I think I'll still go with search console from the essence of you know seeing what's under the hood essentially. With sitemaps, I think the the good thing about sitemaps is again you're still telling your you're telling search engines what's going on, right? You're telling them every single page that you want them to look at. You're telling them what they want to index and that kind of thing. Um. And I know we mentioned um, WordPress before we jumped on live, and the one interesting thing I found with WordPress, I haven't used it recently, but from I understand you have to like use plugins for WordPress to be able to actually generate sitemaps. Whereas obviously, if you build it on a different kind of CMS, you can um, auto generate an XML sitemap, for example, or a HTML sitemap. Um, and I think that's probably one of the downfalls of WordPress not generating uh, an auto generated XML sitemap because I think it's quite important. So I was actually auditing a site the other day um, and they just didn't have a sitemap. You just couldn't find a sitemap anywhere. And it's quite a large website. And then I came to find that they were built on WordPress. And that's not obviously great for SEO. Okay, but I, you know, I, I kind of just, I guess, pushing back because you know there's only two of us now, so we're just gonna have to just, you know, agree yeah, to yeah. disagree. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, um, but but so many people use WordPress that I, mm. I would imagine that that Google's ability to crawl WordPress is incredibly easy. Um, you know, what what advantages does a sitemap have for? Um, for Google, surely it can get through um, the uh, the content 
pretty easily because uh, mm -hmm. one of the things about WordPress and plugins is, you know, another SEO will tell me uh, every time we put another plugin, you put a nail in the coffin of SEO for, for WordPress because uh, <laughs> it just sort of slows the site down. Although I suppose, yeah. uh, you know, a, a, site, a sitemap plugin wouldn't necessarily slow a site down very much because it's just creating an extra page. But mm -hmm. even so... Um, what 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 are the advantages of having the sitemap? Do you think? I think yeah. I guess WordPress is a bit of an anomaly within the the fields. But for me personally, the advantages of having a sitemap is again, you're you're you know, it has a date, it has a time, it has a stamp. You're literally updating search engines every time you've made a change. So um, using Apple for example, whenever they launch new products on their site, which they do often, as I'm sure if anyone's an Apple fan, they would know. It's particularly around September or March when they're releasing new products. Um, we we kind of auto push and submit all the new in all the new um, sitemaps. So all of those URLs can be indexed straight away. Um, and obviously if a site like Apple is doing that, then you kind of, you understand how important it is um, because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, for me, I think the technical SEO, the standpoint is always, you're constantly communicating with the search engine bots. And that's the best way to do it for a technical aspect of, you know, making sure things are being indexed. Um, but in saying that, yeah, you do make a good point in terms of obviously Google are good at, um, you know, understanding WordPress sites, calling WordPress sites. And then I guess it's more about how well technically built, how well technically built is your website on WordPress. So you may not necessarily have to rely on a sitemap. Um, but I guess if you have it, it's a nice to have. So if you if you put out a sitemap and you miss out a bunch of URLs, does that does that preclude, you know, does, does Google just then not bother with those or is it just going to still find those through discovery, through cruel discovery uh, and add that into the into the mix? I guess it's not the fact that they wouldn't bother with it, but it may potentially take them longer to find them. Um, I guess it depends on what signals you're sending, right? If you're if you're sending loads of you know offsite signals, signals and on-page signals, then I'm pretty sure that Google will probably notice the URL at some point. Um, obviously, depending on your crawler budget, how often your site is crawled, it all depends on a lot of those different things as well. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say if your URLs aren't in the sitemap, they won't necessarily be noticed at some point, but. For me, I think technical SEO is all about being able to be in control. And I think when you have things like Search Console set up properly and, you know, sitemaps, you're able to control a bit more. Of course, Google are always going to do what they want to do because, let's be honest, Google don't like SEOs. Um, but you're, anything that's going to allow you to be in control, I would say just get that under your belt just so you can try and influence as much as possible. Um, because the other standpoint is, yeah, you know, making sure you've got strong optimization on site and off site um, to make sure that your your URL is noticed if it hasn't been, you know, submitted through the sitemap. I mean, sitemaps, when, you know, in days gone by, used uh, quite a lot of, um, I could use priorities in sitemaps. I don't know. I don't think that's available now. So, so sitemaps are all about getting discovered and getting indexed in the first place, really. They're not, there's nothing in a sitemap that can tell you some uh, priority, can tell a search engine a priority or your preference of one no. page over another these days. Because you used to be able to give a number between zero and one in a sitemap as mm. to the priority. But I think that was a long time ago. But uh, but it seemed to never do anything anyway. And that's probably why they took it away. So then, let's, let's go on to, you know the consequences of setting up new sitemaps presumably if you're going to put up a new sitemap you're also going to in, in, in that time take some content down so you're going to start ending up with 404s on on pages or um or if you've been you know cleverer about it 301s but i suppose with something like apple if you've got you know if you've got new versions of software do you still uh, uh, new versions of products do, you know does does google or well, does apple um prefer to 
remove URLs for you know redundant products or redundant content, or do they like to redirect it? Uh, and, and whether that's Apple's view or your view, what's your view? I guess I'll give my view on this one, um, just because I don't want to get too into the detail of Apple. Sure. You know, yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop querying Apple <laughs> too much thereafter. <laughs> I can't share, you know, all of Apple's yeah. secrets. Um, but in a general sense, I think again with the sitemaps. I guess it depends how you manage it, whether it's auto-generated or whether you manually manage it. Um, and I guess it also depends on how massive your site is. Um, what I will say, which I think is quite a good tip, is depending on how big your website is, you should have separate sitemaps for separate parts of your website. So you can easily, if you understand that, you know, you've got loads of products, have a product sitemap. If you've, you know, got a particular, you know, loads of categories, have a category sitemap. Maybe try and segment it out. So if you know that there is going to be an instance where you may decide to take a whole load of products off your page, for example, you can refer straight to the product sitemap and then edit that accordingly. Um, so I would say if it's manageable to edit the sitemap, then yes, of course, remove them from the sitemap. So Google can then, um, you know, in turn, remove them from the index. But personally, how I how I generally manage 404s is by redirects. Um, because I think, you know, again, with the sitemaps, depending on how things are set up, especially if you're an agency and, you know, you've got to get free developers and you may not have access to the sitemap, you may not have access to the CMS, you may not have access to certain things. I think redirects is probably one of the, still one of the stronger signals to send to Google to say, hey, this URL used to live here, but actually it lives over here now. Um, and obviously, you know, the difference between a 301 and a 302. So if you know, um, I use like sale as an example. A lot of my clients have been retail, um, like e-commerce, and they have sales a lot of the time, right? So it's more their page may go down temporarily for a sale. So we'd implement a free A2. Um, but then if we know that a page is permanently being moved for whatever reason, then we'd use a free A1. Um, so yeah, but in terms of 404s, more than likely you're going to implement a 301 because it's an error page. And if you know it's not coming back, then, you know, you just send that signal to you know, and hopefully, um, and what does generally happen is a lot of the authority, depending on how long the page has been a 404 for, um, then you'll be able to, you know, kind of, I guess, mitigate as much loss as possible and be able to, say, for example, if the page has been a 404 for two days, um, if you implement a redirect, you're probably not really going to lose out. If it's been a 404 for like a month, there's probably going to be a lot more that you would have lost. So I would say implement redirects as quickly as possible for when it becomes a 404 um and yeah just just manage that process and i guess just have have a clear logical step of understanding whether you want to put a 301 or a 302 and and just things like that and is um is google search console giving you messages when you get 404s that are important um is that sitting there in search console as well yeah it, yeah it does but i guess the only thing that well i haven't unless someone can tell me how you can't really set up alerts within search console and get notifications so you do you have to go in there but then yeah it gives you quite a good understanding of server errors so even down to you know if you do manage your sitemap if you submitted urls within um the sitemap that are throwing up errors search console will tell you that um if you have 500 errors it will tell you that it yeah it, it, it gives you a lot and that's why i say you know search console is a good I think it's just a good kind of Bible to have with technical quick wins, right? Because, you know, the other side is, you know, running loads of crawls um, and doing that thing, which you can do as well. But again, depending on your site, depending on your server size, depending on your server logs, could slow things down. Um, where search control is just always plugged in. So it's an easier thing. Wilhelmina, are you, uh, are you, are you there to uh, talk about redirects, how you, how you approach redirects? Yeah, so um, just in terms of like redirects and how we use them, like Carl was saying, when to basically use them. So people, 
they are permanent redirects. Again, something to use if you know this is where something is going to be permanently used. Again, it depends on where you want to use it. I've heard from a Googler, I'm not going to say which one, that they're now treating 301s and 302s as, mm-hmm. as, as, as the same. <laughs> um, well, firstly, do you think they do? And secondly, do you think they should? No, I don't think they should be treated as the same thing. I feel like they should be kept separately, that the way they are now. Um, also kind of helps again because the whole point of it is to kind of like figure out where that page is going. So if you know it's a permanent, then use it. And if you know it's not going to permanent, then use it to keep those two things separate as well. So it gives people that chance to use it separately than combining them both together. Yeah, I agree. Cara, you, you, do you think they should be different? They should always be different. There's a real good reason for them to be different. I guess, what do you mean in terms of they should or shouldn't be different? Well, so so the, the, the Googler was saying that they, you know, they effectively will treat a, a, a redirect as a redirect regardless whether it's temporary or permanent in, for, the, for mm-hmm. their search engines uh, and I, I was surprised to hear that it, it was it was mm. a little while back I was surprised to hear that and I was surprised that you know somebody else from Google didn't come down and make that you know perfectly clear that these are different things um, and and if they're not different things why, why on earth you know there's a, there's a good reason for having a you know temporary temporarily out of stock 302 permanently mm-hmm. out of stock 301 you know there's there's good reasons for having uh, uh different different commands and i'm just surprised that google treats it differently i suppose from their point of view all they need to know is whether to show it in the search results or not yeah um to be honest i have heard murmurs of that in terms of it doesn't actually really matter you redirect as a redirect um but i've always been on the notion of you know i think it's still important to set the status code because there are other redirect codes you can have as well there's a 308 that people don't really speak about um so me personally i would still do use the logic and the process that i have which is either 301 or 302 if you know i think obviously the i think the balance between it is if you don't know when a, when a URL has come back, just put a 301. If you do know that it's a temporary, then put a 302. But I have heard, um, you know, murmurs that it doesn't necessarily differentiate. But there's not, no, there's nothing to really prove that at the moment. So I guess people, um, with most things in SEO, to be honest, it, I know you don't want to hear this, but it depends. Like, <laughs> it, it does depend because it is... It's kind of like there's no there's no black or white, right or wrong. Obviously, there's a lot of things that we all do that are similar that we know not 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 what to do within SEO, and there's some things that we know to do. Um, but in that sense, it's like you know there's a lot of gray areas around a lot of things because Google are never really going to give us a definitive answer because, like I said, they don't like SEOs, right? Because they don't make money out of us. We 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 are the ones to work out how they do what they do so that we can manipulate for our client or if we're in house or whatever. So. I still stand firm that I think you should state the status code. Um, but I do understand where people are coming from that say it mm, doesn't necessarily matter. All right, let's move on to duplicate content then. Wilhelmina, Will, is that something that you guys have to tackle a lot or is it, or you don't have that problem, you know, two URLs with the same content? I mean, large websites must have it just in parameters, um, must be appearing all over the place. Um, how, how, do you, how do you handle or mitigate um, duplicate content, Wilhelmina? Thankfully, duplicate content isn't something that we um, enter quite a lot. We try to make sure that everything, all our content is different from the others. Um, in some cases where I have experienced it, it's, um, I don't know how to really to mitigate it, but to basically make sure that um, even if we do need to have the content in more than one place, 
because it comes from different place. We come from different sources, if that makes sense. Okay, and I guess also, um, Cara, what you know, do you, what do, do you guys use canonicals at all in uh, in content, for example? Yeah, interestingly, one of my um, other clients has got an issue at the moment with duplicate content um, because they're basically acquiring a lot of content from another website and they don't have the resource to rewrite the content. So they're essentially copying all the content from another website, totally different domain. Um, And one of the things I was discussing is usually I would suggest canonicals, um, but me personally, I've never had experience of implementing a canonical to a different domain. It's always within the same domain. Um, so because this is two separate websites, my first reaction is to, you know, implement canonicals to let Google know that this is the more authoritative page that you should be looking at. Um, but I'm not sure how Google are going to feel about that because it's two separate domains. Um, so canonicals is kind of my, my go-to. Um, but I think within duplicate content, and this is probably going to sound quite funny, but my main thing about, um, how to manage duplicate content is just don't have it. Um, because it's like you know it's just not it's not very wise to have it it's just it's just not best practice it's it's you know it's not logical it doesn't why would you have you know I I always kind of refer to SEO as a book sometimes when you read books you don't have two pages that's exactly the same thing because you know that messes up the story why would you have that um so yeah how I manage how I manage you quick content is tell my clients don't do it um but if they do do it, then canonicals would be one. Um, and then the other is to sometimes they have duplicate content and they're not really sure why they have it. So sometimes you can actually edit content to, you know, differentiate it from one another. Um, so I so I recommend that as well. But yeah, I think I think canonicals are gonna be the best way. Or you can, you know, I've done content audits before where I've, you know, seen, okay, you may have duplicate content, but how many pages do you really need? Let's actually do an audit and maybe archive some of these pages or, you know, redirect some of these pages, get rid of some of these pages and then re-optimize some of the other content as well. So yeah. Yeah, I, I see I see duplicate content happening uh a lot when uh, where again, particularly on, on WordPress sites where people have put in you know, a, a post and associated with more than one category, and that automatically will create two URLs, which essentially have the same the same content. Um, and there's ways around that. Well, within within WordPress, I'm sure you can use plugins. You can use plugins to stop that from happening. Or uh, the best thing to do is not to put to one article in two categories. But uh, but also recently, I've been seeing probably not something that large organisations would like. But um, uh, I've seen um, people doing those kind of redirects. Um, on the edge and on Cloudflare and, and these kind of things. So if uh, if all of a sudden a category turns up that you don't that you you know that's an, a, a sort of a an old category, it'll it'll redirect you know actually at the DNS level, which uh, I'm sure would scare the heck out of some organisations. But it's quite <laughs> half a way to do SEO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, there is that. I think yeah, I guess it depends on I guess the the level of duplication, right? And I guess how aggressive, like you said, it would scare people. Like it's, I guess it depends on how aggressive do you want to go with the duplicate content, and that's why I say my advice is just always just don't have it because yeah. you yeah. you alleviate you alleviate a lot of issues because, you know, I get it from some standpoint. Sometimes duplicate content is, um, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, Again, working on some large sites, there's issues where we have, I guess, a bit of a separate issue, but there'll be like loads of duplicate message descriptions, for example, because if they sell a mass amount of products, but the only differentiation is the color or, 
something they're not really going to write a, a different meta description for every single url just because they've got it in blue red black green and yellow so are you are you lamenting the uh google search console dropping the uh parameter um thing so somewhere in, in the in google search console you used to be able to say right please ignore any parameters that says color equals or whatever uh, mm. and they've, they've dropped that is that something you you lament or you know or you think they get it right all the time? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with that, I more rely on robots.txt for things that we want to be ignored or disallowed um, in the SERPs. And to be honest, I guess it, depend, it depends on how the... Um, the parameters are rendered because some parameters just aren't rendered in search because you know they're they're quite ugly URLs and they've got loads of different characters and and that kind of thing. So I guess it depends on if you know for a fact that your parameter URLs are being indexed or they're being you know they're being rendered in a particular way where people are going to land on them. Then I then would dis- yeah then fix it, um, but also disallow it in the robots.txt right. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, with Google, you know, doing what they did in Search Console. And to be honest, I wasn't really convinced of how accurate that that function in Search Console was anyway. Um, I Again, I think for me, I like to have a bit things a bit more succinct and a bit more black and white. And I think robots is the better way to go. Uh, yeah, I, I find Google ignores so many bits of robots.txt though that uh that um i, I get and it, and it was never a it was never an official um system really was it so it's kind of uh it's it's, it's kind of optional for search engines really <laughs> so it's not, <laughs> not, not ideal uh but uh, <laughs> uh but yeah but we're uh, seos we're nothing's ideal really as, as, you, as you say you know Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It is what it is. Um. And I think yeah. I think we with that going back to my point before of you know saying you know not what you want to hear but it depends. It's more so because even down to like you know meta descriptions, Google are now you know deciding what meta description they want to put in. So you can implement a whole bunch of meta descriptions, but actually. Google may decide to go on your the URL that you've written that meta description for and take a chunk of your text that's on page, and they think that's the better meta description. And they're doing that doing a lot. They're doing it like sixty percent of the time, or forty to sixty percent of the time. I've seen yep. a couple of different um, surveys and things, so it's it's huge. But when when uh, when we looked at when I saw a study when they were looking at the change that they made, most of the changes were more sensible, were sensible changes. So they were helping the user at the far end. But it was a shock to the SEO community when they started changing changing your content on the fly. Uh, which yeah. which kind of I guess it would have been an interesting one to put back to to Wilhelmina because uh, that might affect she's in a regulated industry. So um, mm. are there going to be occasions where you know a search engine may inadvertently cause a some, especially somebody in a regulated industry to be breaking the law because they they legally have to say something in a in the description, for example, you know. Yeah, no, that's interesting actually because I had the issue with one of my clients, um, and there's a restriction that they have from a dimensions point of view within particular markets. They have to um, kind of state the dimensions of a product, and that because of Google doing whatever they wanted to do, you know, we would put it in the meta description, but it wouldn't always show because Google decided to take something else. Um, but I guess in, obviously, I can't speak for Wilhelmina, but I'm assuming within her industry, whatever needs to be put out there, they would have on site anyway. So there would be some type of hope that if Google are, you know, pulling from on page, then um, it would pull the right thing. Um, yeah. Or at least pull something. But yeah, and I think that's why I think, you know, being within SEO, and I'm not sure if you know about the the latest update, the Google Mum update. Um mm-hmm which is all very, you know, wishy-washy, as it always is. Um, 
I think the more and more updates that come, I think from a technical standpoint, it's about just making sure that your site is, you know, technically and technically sound and the most accessible because that's that's even though Google are never going to give you the clear answer, that's exactly what they care about. They care about the user, right? All of these updates that are coming out, you know, the update before was about the product reviews and you know, there's there's so much that they're trying to do just to serve the user and give the user everything that they need without the user working too much or the person who's Googling working too much. Um, I think with a technical, anything to do with technical thing, you just have to make sure your site's built correctly and you're able to understand everything that's going on under the hood so things are accessible for the user. And then I guess that kind of crosses over into CRO, but that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah, but, but I think that also, that that comes to the heart of philosophy of SEO, though, doesn't it, as, as a potential problem for a search engine in the end. Because, mm. and hear me out here, because this is, you know, old man talking here. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, they've given us so many hoops to jump through, like, you know, making sure that all your images are well tagged and all these things are, are, are done right. You've got schema on the page or you've got, um, you've got, you've got, you know, things in bullet points and you write in a style. Um, and what's starting to happen is that, you know, in most markets, pages that are not optimized, that were not ever designed to be optimized are never going to reach the, the, the top of the SERPs. But the interesting thing for me is that, the real, real authority on any particular subject doesn't give a flying fig about the SERPs and they're just going to write about, you know, life on Mars or whatever their specialist topic is. Uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, if you, and if Google doesn't understand the author of that content or, 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 or doesn't, doesn't know that, they'll never get to show that to the, to, to the people. So they're actually shooting themselves in the foot by telling everybody to do, you know, TRO and, and UX uh, because it's only the ones that do it that then show up in the SERPs and therefore you actually suppress the actual authority uh, authoritative content. Is that old man talking or do you think I've got some something to say there? <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, I'm never going to call you an old man, you know, it's offensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I wouldn't say you're, it's, it's crazy what you're saying. I think, again, it goes back to that whole point of it depends, right? <laughs> because you're going to do, depending on what you do. Um, I think a lot of the time, and I think the why, because a lot of people ask me, why do you even do SEO? Like, there's so much that's just like it's a long-term channel gain there's so many factors that can impact things google can literally just pull the rug from under your feet at any given moment um but i think for me it's about you know especially from a technical standpoint it's you know think of technical seo as like a house like you know the technical seo is the foundation that people don't see when they come to your house the brickwork the electrics the the plumbing all of that stuff the stuff that keeps your house structurally going um and everyone just cares about you know the wallpaper the flooring the sofa the tv or whatever um but it's about understanding that within that standpoint of if if they are being told to do cro if they are being told, told to do stuff like that i guess it's similar to how a builder would be told or an architect would be told to how to draw up a plan for a house um because you're told that you know to make it accessible because at the end of the day right everybody's website if it's an e-commerce website or if you make revenue from it you want people to convert um so it's one thing to make your your website discoverable and and you know make sure your website can be indexed in the SERPs and you know on the first page um although there's a lot of studies now that even second page is the place to be but who knows um, oh really okay yeah well as in people are getting more i think 
searches are getting a little bit more inquisitive with their searches. So if they're searching for something and, you know, obviously Google's changing the SERP so much now with there's so much above the fold. There's map results, there's feature snippet results, there's people also ask results, there's video results. There's, it, there's, there's so much, there's social media results, there's knowledge panels, there's, there's so much stuff yeah. that can come into that play. And I think people are, some people, I guess, I don't think there's any stats that have come out about it yet, but there probably will because we've been having a lot of discussions about it as to whether, how far do people scroll now? And, you know, there was that time when Google, um, they I think they trialed the scroll where you didn't even have to click on a yeah. page. You if, just kept scrolling. Scroll. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You just kept kept scrolling. You didn't know what page you were on. You could be on page four, but you were just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So within the CRO, I think, I think it definitely goes hand in hand. And I think I remember doing a project for Selfridges on conversion, you know, like just working with UX a lot more. And I was like, guys, like, we should probably work a lot more closely together because we're the ones focused on bringing all the traffic to your site and you're the ones focusing on converting people. But if the two aren't matching, then it's not, it's not going to work because I can drive a million visits to your site in a week. But if it, if your navigation is poor, then no one's going to want to convert. Yeah. Then no one goes from there. And I, I think, I think there's something you might you might have something in by, by saying that people are digging deeper into the search results because I've I've been uh, surprised at, uh, recently at a couple of S, non SEOs who said oh I never click on ads I go straight past the ads so they and and because Google has put so many ads up there now you've got to consciously scroll down to see anything except for ads and uh, a lot of the time so that that puts people in the habit of digging into the into the results a little a little bit more so you you may well be correct on that um it'd be, it'd yeah. be interesting to see those studies i think uh if we find one we'll put it in the uh in the comments um on, on various podcasts if we can or we'll put it back on the knowledge panel shows website at least uh yeah. so uh, okay i'm just going to um finish up i think with uh i wanted to talk a little bit about crawlers but i don't think we've got we've got time well we, we, we'll actually maybe we will because we, we might have to do some editing because of uh because of <laughs> Wilhelmina's uh, technical challenges so uh um yeah do you use do you use crawlers much yourself uh, screen frogs or site bulb or on crawl yeah. or, or those kind of things and, and if so what do you what do you use and, and what do you like about them yeah i mean it's probably gonna sound really sad but i love crawlers because crawlers tell me what i need to know right um and screaming frog i guess is my main day-to-day that i would just crawl to check some stuff um i think for me, I've got to this the point of using the more advanced features of, of Screaming Frog that probably people don't look at. So building regex, building X-paths, you know, extracting a lot of different things that you need from it. So Screaming Frog is definitely a go-to for me. Um, also use Deep Crawl. Deep Crawl have actually yep. inv- advanced themselves quite a lot um, based on when I used to use the tool when I first stepped into the industry. It's definitely come a long way. Uh, and they, they're really good for large sites, aren't they? Not, not you exactly. can't use Screaming Frog for a large site. Yeah. But they de- yeah, so if I want to do a large, like a big massive crawl on a on a on a huge site, I would set the crawl for deep crawl and let it run overnight. Um if I'm just trying to find something really quickly, I'll just grab it from Screaming Frog. But yeah, those are the two tools that I would use. Um and I guess slightly off topic a little bit, but I think log file analysis is is definitely a big thing that people don't look into from a technical SEO aspect. Um and within that, Botify is probably one of the best tools I've seen that do that um so yeah and again what do you you find in um in in log files that you don't find in in web crawlers a lot of those 500 responses probably (laughs) yeah a lot of 500 responses um it's interesting because the log file analysis i guess it, it it just gives you a more detailed view of how search bots are actually looking at every single thing that happens when it 
you know, comes to your website, crawls all your pages and kind of deciphers and I guess puts it in its own little database of whatever it fills. I think with the log file analysis, you're literally getting, I guess, deeper into the hood or under the hood of understanding how your website is being treated from a bot perspective and and you're being able to yeah manage 500s because even with um search console stuff like that it will flag up 500 errors but i think um, log file analysis is a lot more real time so if you've if you've had some 500 errors they may have you know you've been flagged up in search console a day or two later whereas with log file analysis it's a lot i think a log file analysis is a lot more reactive the problem is with a log file analysis on some of the customers that you use you know these big people these apples and selfridges is mm. they're big they're big files really there's an awful lot of data in those files and uh yeah so probably not not so easy to go and have a look at last month's log files you know no the the log file analysis that i have done has been on smaller sites for sure um but it's 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 good to guess give that more detailed overview of you know what what is happening um because it's important but yeah from a crawler perspective i'd say deep crawl screaming frog definitely good to understand what's happening um there are some plugins that people can use with chrome as well um obviously they're not exactly crawler plugins but they kind of give you top line overview if you want to check some stuff um and also chrome developer tools it's not really a crawler, but Chrome Developer Tools does give you some more insight in terms of, you know, the back end, the HTML. You can edit stuff. You can really kind of understand and see, and you can change device and see how things are looking from a responsive view. So, um, yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of good tools out there. So I wanted to finish up with uh, asking a question about how you assess, how, how you want and how you actually do assess the the effects of of changes that you make um what kind of feedback loops do you have at your disposal to you know say right okay we've made this change on a server or we've you know added this Mm -hmm. script here um you know do you always have time to assess the change or do you just a lot of the time Mm -hmm. have it say well that's fixed that so we can just move on no i do a lot of impact analysis and i um i guess because some of the work that i do is a lot more technical now so if we if there's been a technical release that we fed into particularly um and we say that if you do this release then it's going to give an seo benefit of x or whatever um i would give it maybe one to three months depend what the the um release is right depends what impact we're expecting um and then i guess it depends so i'm trying to think of one that was done recently if we've made a massive update to you know like message descriptions for example or something we may look at you know click through rate i think for every release you're going to have to understand what you think the impact should be and then that that's my first point of call but yeah i definitely would say that with anything that i do there there needs to be some part of impact analysis otherwise it's a bit pointless why are we fixing things the difficult isn't it? the difficult thing though with that is is that you know it depends on the cadence with which you do releases though because um and of course the cadence with which google does updates but uh but because you can you can make a change and then one to three months later potentially you've made a dozen other changes and google's done three updates um and so uh, does that does that nullify a lot of the impact analysis or is that you know just part for the course and you've got to go with it anyway because there's no other choice I mean, if anything's broken, you've got to fix it, right? And I think it's about sometimes there are fixes that just need fixing and you're not necessarily going to see an impact, but you know that if you don't fix it, the consequences will be more detrimental. Um, so if something's broken, say if you've got loads of broken pages, it may not necessarily have a massive boost on performance, but you just know it's just bad practice to have broken pages. Um, but if you know there's a massive impact of, you know, page, let's take page speed, for example. Core Web Vitals are always, always, it's always going to be a thing. 
page speed is always going to be a massive thing, especially with the mobile index only and all the, you know, the focus on mobile and things like that. So I think page speed is a, is a project that I'm constantly working on and I'm constantly reviewing of, okay, cool, we've done this now. What's the load time now on this page? How many seconds have we, how many seconds have we, you know, scratched off or etched off and things like that so um yeah yeah, I think I think you just got to kind of do it case by case and understand what fixes you're doing that you know are going to have an impact and if it does have an impact then it's about what you because I think with all the um fixes that I put through personally we always set a bit of a KPI of understanding what are we trying to achieve with this? There's no point in suggesting to fix this if we don't have a KPI. And then so you've got something you then to measure off the event. Of, you've, yeah. you've got something to, to, to measure off the event. That's brilliant. Yeah. Cara, yeah. The, I, honestly, I know we've had some technical challenges on this one, but this has been <laughs> thoroughly interesting. And I'd, I'd love to, um, to, to talk more. Um, uh, and hopefully you don't mind if I reach out on LinkedIn as well, because uh, I think yeah, you're, yeah, no, you're a course. very interesting person. And, uh, and I'd, 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 <laughs> Uh, and uh, if we're ever at a conference, I'd, I'd love to buy you a beer uh, or a wine yeah. or whatever. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, David, what are you? Uh, what, what, what's going on next time on the, the Knowledge Panel Show? Sure. Okay. Well, next time we're actually back to Mondays. Um, we were broadcasting live on a Wednesday this time because it was Bank Holiday Monday in the UK and probably many other places around the world as well. So next time it's going to be Monday the 16th of May. We're going to be talking about SEO in Spanish versus SEO in English. Uh, we've got four great guests booked for that one already. Adelina Bordia, Philippia Gasper, Gemma Fontani and Monty Cano. Um, so just go to thenowledgepanelshow.com, sign up to watch that one live. If you can join us live, that'll be superb. Okay, and I haven't spent any time talking about our sponsors in links. So, you know, hi in links. Um, thanks for being on the show. Uh, it's it's uh, like they can't sack me. Uh, I'm the CEO. Uh, but that's it, guys. See you on the next episode. And thank you very much for coming along. And Akara, again, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for having me.